is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Fungani. Thank you so much for joining us. This week, the world commemorated the 10th anniversary of the International Day of the Girl Child. The UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres says that even though there has been increased attention in the last decade to issues that matter to girls, there needs to be more opportunities for girls to have their voices heard on the global stage. Two other girls come forward after I helped this girl because it turns out you have to pay for the police to make an arrest. You have to pay to get to go to the hospital. So two other girls come forward and the one case that really like pushed me over the edge was a five-year-old. That is Tabitha Mamira, a girls' rights advocate and founder of the organization Mutera Global Healing. Her organization provides free medical, legal, and mental health services to sexual assault survivors. And studies show that even though women represent over half of Africa's population, they account for a small minority of people studying and working in the science and technology fields. We are taught to be humble. We're taught to be quiet. We're taught to not um, embrace the things that we are and, and speak about ourselves. That is Sepide Nasiri, founder of the organization Women of Mina in Technology. Nasiri says that her goal is to encourage more women to join STEM fields in North Africa. But let's start off by listening to your opinions on our topic today. student at the University of Liberia. And what governments should do is that they should scout people out um, of high schools, like those girls who are really participating, who are achieving higher grades in sciences, and that they be given a scholarship. Yes, hello, my name is Lontia Cooper. Um, to encourage girls to study science, I feel that our government need to organize uh, programs that will encourage our females to study science. They can organize a science fair that will encourage ladies to go there and learn some things about science. Even seminars, government can you know, host seminars that will encourage our girls. My name is Emma Smith. Well, I think we can come up with some programs to encourage girls to participate in the sciences because, uh, as you know, in our country, the Ebola took away our doctors and nurses. So we are desperately in need of doctors and nurses. And besides, we're also um, in need of um, people who are very into the technical field when it comes to sciences. Thank you so much for your opinions. You're listening to Upfront on the Voice of America. This week, the world commemorated the International Day of the Girl Child, a milestone 10th year celebration. However, as the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres says, even though there has been an increased attention on issues affecting the girl child in the last decade, more needs to be done to create opportunities for girls as they face unprecedented challenges to their education and mental wellness. Tabitha Mamira is a girls' rights advocate and founder of Mutera Global Healing. Her organization provides free medical, legal, and mental health services to sexual assault survivors in East Africa. Tabitha says that tackling some of the challenges facing girls begins with understanding some of the community dynamics that allow for their marginalization in society 
and how parents transfer trauma from one generation to the next. I started off by asking Tabitha what inspired her to become a girls' rights advocate. My first initial knowledge in wanting to do this was in 10th grade. Moved back, moved to the U.S. in 10th grade as a 14-year-old. Um, I'm from Rwanda, so we know our history of trauma and genocide. And I learned, I went into psychology class. And that was the first time I heard about this idea of healing the mind. And that was the first moment I knew this is what I wanted to do with my life. So from 14, I knew I wanted to be a psychologist. I just didn't know what that meant. All I knew was that I could make a difference in healing my people. Mm. And then fast forward, the aha moment part was... In 2015, as I went to, and along the way, I had worked with, um, as a therapist, with women in Rwanda who had survived the genocide and had been raped, had children out of these rapes. I had worked in research labs around sexual violence, understanding how that works. But the big aha moment that got me on this journey, to answer your question, um, was in 2015, I went to Uganda in this village, trying to do some volunteer work at a nonprofit. And while there, I'm asking around what I can do in terms of therapy for these children who are mainly orphans to HIV and AIDS Mm. and their grandparents, because most of them had lost their parents to this epidemic. And this teacher says very nonchalantly that um, a nine-year-old had been raped the day before and she was in class and they were just saying it as business as usual. Like, maybe you could start there. And I'm like, What? And I bring this little girl out of class and we're talking, I'm I'm doing a little crisis counseling and it turns out it wasn't even the first time. And while I'm there, two other girls come forward after I helped this girl because it turns out you have to pay for the police to make an arrest. You have to pay to to go to the hospital. So two other girls come forward and the one case that really like pushed me over the edge was a five-year-old. And I think we should warn you, Listeners, that these stories are kind of triggering and they have, they're relating to, I'm sure they'll already know that on, mm. this is the, the topic, but this five-year-old had been assaulted by her own grandfather who was HIV positive and they couldn't raise the money in that time, like $5, literally $5, to get a, a pill. That yes, thank you, Pep. So mm. she was now HIV positive. And grandpa couldn't be put away in jail either because you have to pay for that too. And it was very clear to me. It was almost like a literal voice. I was thinking, okay, at the point, at the time I was doing my PhD, I was raising three little ones. I was working. I'm like, I can't take this on. I don't Mm -hmm. have the time, money, energy. Wait, so first of all, just, just for clarification, you say they need money to actually to go to the police, to call the police? Yes. So you call the police transport for them to make an arrest. I mean, I I used to hear these stories. There was a running joke back in the day that when you call Kenyan police, a friend of mine used to tell this joke that when, you know, when you call Kenyan police and, and, you know, that and tell them that you are under some sort of crisis and, you know, you need help, they'll say, they'll ask you to pay for transport. They will ask if you have transportation money. So that is real. That's yeah. so sad. That's so sad. So these kids yeah. who, came, who were in your class uh, had been vict- victims of sexual violence and you were there for different purpose altogether. 
Yeah, I was visiting. Um, this was in my ex-husband's village. We had gone to visit at the time I was married to him. And um, I'm visiting with some other guests who are like, were there to volunteer. And that came up in the conversation. And so I, that's when uh, that nine-year-old, it turns out, so if you can't afford to pay the police and your perpetrator knows you can't, but you really are still pushing forward for this little girl. He came and offered them a goat so that they don't report. Mm. Like here's a goat. Some sort of compensation. Yeah. Can you imagine? That's a message they're giving this girl. Where are the parents of this nine year old? Why, uh, where is their outcry from? Is this, it feels for some reason that there's a certain normalization that is taking place in this village around that issue that even, uh, uh, an, a, a crime of that nature, you know, heinous crime of that nature is, is kind of swept under the rug and the goat is brought in as a, as, a, as a way to compensate and kind of just forget everything. So it, it can be both and, right? So there is that, I, so for this little girl specifically, grandma was really trying to get justice for her, but she doesn't have the money it takes to go through. Hmm. The perpetrator has more resources, so sometimes they give the judges or the police more money. So by the time you report, they're like, yeah, 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 or come back tomorrow. And they keep pushing it until you can't afford it. Wow, they they basically corrupted the justice system. The the abusers or the perpetrators kind of know how to go about corrupting the, the system. Exactly. So there is that part of corruption. But then there is also... And sometimes it's easier for people to think, oh, this is some village in Uganda. They are so backwards. They don't think this is a crime. Because on the books, Uganda actually says those people are punishable, some of them by death. Some of them, it says the law says uh, life in prison. I think they Mm. changed life in prison. So the laws on paper look amazing. But think about the same thing. But the implementation is not there. It's not there. And, And even here in the U.S., right? Mm. If you remember, what's his name? Brett, somebody, that Stanford guy who ended up getting three months. Yes. When there's all this evidence, think about the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. There is always this denial of the issue being... The Stanford story, just for our listeners, I guess it was a guy who raped a girl during... uh, who was drunk. Who was passed out. Was passed out? Mm -hmm. Right, okay. So I just wanted to make sure that I got that If I need context, for our listeners who need context, I'll probably give them more. Okay, right. So you're saying that even in more developed countries where they have laws and and, and, and a much more robust justice system, that even the injustice still happens around these issues of of sexual violence. Yes. And there's a a, a minimization of what it is or a silence around it. Um, so whether somebody gives a goat or somebody goes to court and pays off a big amount and it's silenced mm. it is overall globally the same issue. It just kind of shows up differently. Differently. Yes. Okay. So you, and then for you, this was your trip to go volunteer at this school. It turns out something else. And that's, I guess that was the genesis of EJA Foundation. Correct. So not only I see these girls needing something right now, right there, and I get this voice saying, well, why do you get the luxury to wait? I was thinking, oh, I will do this work someday when I have degrees and I have this and I'm, I have resources. But it was like, 
but what the problem is in your face right now. Mm. And the other part was when I was talking to this little girl, it was literally like looking in the mirror and it was so clear that either I was being a hypocrite or I was, I didn't think I deserved what I was giving. And I say that to say, as an 11 year old had experienced that same thing that I was trying to help her through, but I had never told anyone. Mm. And these girls gave me that courage to say, me too. And that's why Me Too went viral the way it did, because every survivor wants to hear that they're not alone. Mm. They want to be validated. They want to be like, right. this is reality. Right. So yeah, the, the, those girls also gave me that courage to go and do my own work around my healing. You're listening to Upfront on The Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. We're still chatting with Tabitha Mamira, a girls' rights advocate and founder of Mutera Global Healing. Her organization provides free medical, legal, and mental health services to sexual assault survivors in East Africa. I saw your talk recently, uh, you called it the baton talk, mm-hmm. kind of touching upon some of the themes uh, that perpetuate this type of uh, culture. Uh, let's talk about the batons, uh, the legacy, the baggage, the experiences of our parents that are passed on to us. W- what are those batons that were passed on to you? <laughs> that could be a whole <laughs> a whole thing, right? So um, we all get, we inherit something, right? A lot of things. We inherit p- through messaging, how our parents, this, our communities, our societies have told us who we are. But also there is this um, unseen inheritances of trauma. And now research, more research shows epigenetics. Like in your DNA, you are literally carrying your mother's stress, your mother's trauma. Your Whatever mother's baggage. Like her baggage. And she was wow. carrying her mother's baggage and her mother was carrying, so it keeps being passed down um, unless somebody breaks that cycle. Like unless you go and clearly, intentionally say, nope, this is where it stops. Mm. But most people... I- identify what that baggage is. Yeah. And, and get and it out of that. Get it out of the way, yes. Yeah. And scientifically, some researchers have said it's sometimes evolutionarily is to help you cope with the environment you're coming into. Correct. So that's why part of why the genes show up that way is that if your mother is pregnant with you during a war, some of that DNA helps you then if you're born in a war-torn area that you have mm. the capacity to handle it. Mm. And if somebody's born in a peaceful place, they don't need to have that. Anyway, so that's kind of the behind the scenes. So for me, a part of that was my mom was pulled out of school at a young age. She was almost married off at 14. And she's, that's, that was, story was shared in that TED Talk as well, mm. where she was able to get away. And we will share the link to... For our listeners to actually watch that TED Talk, one of the most powerful TED Talks I've actually watched. Yeah, so go ahead. Thank you. That's mm. a big compliment. Um, yeah, so there's there there are those pieces, and then there's the patriarchy, which my mom really um, overcame. She was the breadwinner for our family for a long time. My dad decided to go back to school after having all four kids, and my mom, without an education, put all of us through school, including her own husband. Mm. Provided oh, wow. her, including her own husband. Including her husband who wanted to pursue this education that he wasn't able to get. And, That's amazing. Right? That's amazing. So we inherit the good and the bad. Right. Uh, I mean, I mean, just, just to, uh, 
I guess reiterate the 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 the, the point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, t- Tony Morrison, the the great Tony Morrison, writes that uh, you know about love. That each generation has a kind of of love, and some of it is really tough. Would you say t- the tough love is also part of the baton that is passed on? Yes, and sometimes it can be helpful, right? So the intention behind the tough love, the idea of the intention might be good that I want to teach my children to stay in the right path. And to survive. To survive mm. and to stay safe. And if I do it myself that they don't have to get in trouble, then I keep them safe in the outside world. Mm. I think Tanahisi Coates really also talked through that. That Absolutely, people. in his book with the uh, uh, in his letter to his son. Yes. Yes. Then they, if if they do it in home, then they can keep them safe off the streets. And so sometimes we're also passing on that trauma of now I'm physically abusing my child out of lo- love, right? I my intention is better than what the <laughs> the master's intention was. Mm. But, the, but the purpose is kind of the same. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then so asking forever, why do I do what I do? Of every time, especially when we have children, you're passing on so much baggage that you don't even understand. Um, and over the years, have you seen any changes in that community based on some of the work that you've done to, uh, to speak out on this issue? Have you seen the attitudes among either the elders or the, you know, the grown-ups? Do you have seen that changing? Yes. Um, and it was the change. Hap- I mean, it's been maybe what, six years now since we started. But um, the last time we saw 3000 people come out to a march, we've been doing awareness on radio shows and talking about this issue. And that was partly my motivation to come out and share my story. Right. Like that's not an identity anybody wants, especially in our culture. It's so stigmatized. But to show that um, it can happen to anyone. And then for survivors, that it's not at the end of your life. Mm. I've seen people who had been police officers now making arrests. So when they would ask for transport, um, I bought a motorcycle and hired a legal advocate. So when they want transport in the form of money, I'm like, oh, we have transport. They'll come pick you up and take you to your job. Uh And so kind of tackling the problem where the root is. Educating boys and men. So now we have, I um, recruited uh, Boda Bodas, the motorcycle taxi, but man, like you guys are young, you are influential, you know the community better than anyone, it's giving everybody purpose and value to feel like they're part of the solution. This is not Capita's solution, I'm not the expert. What does the community need? Yeah. 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 So and now I think the, the, the most difficult part is, to, is just changing the attitudes and perceptions of, about, around this issue. Because even just talking about sex, aside from just the crime of it, you know, in, in cases where there's crime committed, just the issue of sex is that stigma. Uh, it's a taboo topic. But, you know, you, you, you spoke about men. What would you say is the role of men as allies in, in tackling this issue? Oh, if it was up to me, this work would be done just by men. Like we, you don't have to convince me about the effects of this, right? Or any, most women, because we all know it at first hand. But the role of men, one, what we've done is to really uh, talk about who they, so patriarchy is the root 
of all evil, in my opinion. I will not disagree with you right. on that one. <laughs> and it affects men too. Absolutely. Right? It comes up as a, I think, anyway, so we come down to what is your role in this society? And mm. I was, uh, so I have the elders, the older men coming in for trauma training, believe it or not, in this rural area. And they got trained on trauma, the effects of it. And, and as men in this culture, they're seen as protectors, right? They're providers. And so what can you do to protect and provide for your family? If not, make sure that all the women, girls, and boys are protected. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to be in on that. So they became the safe, the safe keepers of the community. They have those who are trained. They put like little yellow flags in front of their house. So if a girl is going to fetch water, she doesn't feel safe, this man, she can knock on this safe house and the man will walk her to the well and back home safely. The Boda Boda guys, like, you guys can keep, you're the ears and the eyes of the community. If you did your job, trust me. Say something. Yes. (laughs) And so now they got vests that says I'm a sexual gender-based violence advocate. So they're the safe border borders. Now they get more business because more women feel safe and they have their names on it. So now they're also being accountable in the community. But were were they also perpetrated in some way as part of, you know, this uh, public transportation system? Yeah. Stereotypically, most of them are the perpetrators. When we were starting out, they used to actually threaten my social workers, like, Oh, okay. Here comes the rape girl. One day we will do this. Mm. And now they're like, what can we do? How can we be part of this? That was Tabitha Mamira, a girl's rights advocate and founder of Mutera Global Healing. You're listening to Upfront on The Voice of America. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Border Crossings. Join host Larry London. Larry London. On Border Crossings, VOA's only worldwide music request hour. Every weekday at 1500 Universal. Tune in for the biggest hits and amazing artists. Win prizes and get the latest news from exclusive celebrity interviews. Send your requests to Facebook at VOA Larry London. Twitter at Border Crossings or Instagram at Border Crossings VOA or call 202-619-2077 and have your favorite music played to the entire world. Ah. Don't miss Border Crossings every weekday at 1500 Universal only on The Voice of America. Welcome back. You're listening to Upfront on The Voice of America. Now, now, although women make up over half of the continent's population, studies show that they are still very much underrepresented in the science and technology fields. Experts attribute this partly to the entrenched cultural perception that STEM is a male domain and that men are just better off at math and science. However, that is far from the truth, and as numerous studies have shown, Girls fare as well as boys in these fields. Our next guest recommends that to reduce the gender gap in the STEM field, more resources should be directed towards interventions to demystify STEM as a man's field while encouraging interest in girls. Sepide Nasiri is the founder of the organization known as Women of Mina in Technology. Her mission is to encourage a sense of belonging for women in technology fields. 
Sepide starts off by telling us some of the benefits of having more female representation in STEM fields, especially in the workplace ecosystem. Having been in tech and uh, the STEM ecosystem for over 20 years, I've certainly seen um, how diverse teams and diversity can um, accelerate businesses. Um, and that means, you know, when we leave someone or a community behind, we are not only doing injustice to them, but also to our own business as well. Um, my organization uh, focuses on elevating and providing resources uh, through programs to women of MENA. Um, and it goes back to my background, having worked in tech for so long within the startup ecosystem, first in Silicon Valley, of course, and, and then expanding um, in different regions around the world. I've seen firsthand how uh, not having a sense of belonging in the workplace when you come in and you're the only one that looks like you, acts like mm-hmm. you, speaks like you. And that can um, sometimes uh, be overwhelming. Sometimes it can um, create that distance between you and the passion you have for the work that mm-hmm. you want. And, and it can hold you back in many ways and your progress. But what, are some, what are some of the specific challenges facing, say, a young woman uh, in the MENA region as they try to enter this uh, tech space? Sure. I don't think the education is the challenge at all. Um, as you might know, you know, 68 to 70 percent of um, university graduates in STEM are women in the mid- Middle East and North African region. Mm-hmm. So education is certainly the total opposite than anywhere else in the world where it's less than 30. The opportunities and access is where we all have challenges around the world as women and particularly Middle Eastern women. I think there is a cultural barrier as well, uh, as we are taught at a very young age, you know, become mothers, become the lead of the family, the household, um, and, and make sure those things are running smoothly. So um, not having a balanced life, not having uh, opportunities at work to be able to have flexibility can be challenging where then at home it's required by you, whether from your own guilt or from your husband or from your family that that to cut back in the job place, which translate into not uh, accelerating in the workplace as well, right? Um, if you're not putting the work, if you're not there in meetings and so forth, that can hinder you getting opportunities. Um, I also think that um, th- there's other factors in place that you don't feel uh, when you're the only one, you're not heard, you're not as loud. Um, and so that can translate also to be unseen instead of being seen. Um, intimidation is one thing I would say a lot of women um, may experience. Mm. Um, Wait, so is what, it f- f- hmm? physical intimidation or some, sometimes it's just a mental? I think it's both. Mm. Uh, you know, um, women being in the workplace, especially in the Middle Eastern region and especially in tech, ecosystem might be new to a lot of um, arenas, right? Um, and, and so the way we engage, the way we talk, the way we curate the work environment might not be friendly for women to be in. When you are having a certain way of conversing, when you um, 
I give you the most uh, simplest thing. Hey, guys, that's mm. guys. It's not, hey, people. Hi, mm. everyone. You know, you, you don't feel part of that group. Um, it's, it's a gendered uh, <laughs> greeting in itself. Yeah, That's the smallest thing that we can talk about. Mm. Um, it comes into also like financial and the economic status as well. When you look at um, the cultural mentality where when you have a resume of a female versus male and they both have the opportunity, or maybe sometimes the woman has more experience, but the cultural aspect is, hey, the man has a household. He needs to take care of the household. So let's give him the job, which is the wrong mentality these days because there are single mothers out there um, and so forth. Or if not, they should have the same opportunity. So I think, you know, when we talk about challenges that women, a young woman or generally is, access, mentorship, you know, finding the right people to uh, bring you to the next level. You know, it has to be male mostly because the females, not all of them are at that level yet, right? right, right. They're still accelerating themselves. Um, so access and resources is one, but the environment that is created that hasn't changed for several, several years now can be hindering to uh, young women or women's success. That was Sepide Nasiri, a tech entrepreneur and advocate for more women in science and technology fields. She joined us from San Francisco. And that's it for today's show. Many thanks to all of you for joining us. Remember to connect with us on our social media platforms. We are on Facebook and Instagram at VOA Africa. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vongani in Washington, wishing you a great week ahead, Africa. Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and the artists of the past.